reason we sing and the reason that we worship is because religion can't do what that song just talked about. It can't bring you forgiveness. You can't bring yourself forgiveness. In fact, people talk all the time about, I've got to redeem myself. You can't redeem yourself. Someone else has to do that for you. And that's the good news. Our God sent his son to die on a cross. And then three days later, he arose from the dead. And our hope and our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus, his blood, and his righteousness. We don't trust in ourselves. And we don't trust in our self-improvement or our self-help. We trust in what God has done. And we rest in all of that. And today we want to talk for a few moments about how the resurrection literally changes everything. You go from having a, someone who is called a criminal nailed to a cross who under normal circumstances would have hung on a cross for a long period of time and then would have been uh, taken down, buried in a mass grave, a shallow grave, and perhaps having their body even eaten by animals, that type of thing. And you go from that to having a Savior who dies in a shorter period of time than anyone would have expected, who dies with a shout, not with a whimper, who says, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And uh, we find that when he is buried, he's buried in Joseph's tomb, a rich man's tomb, and criminals that die on crosses normally are not buried like that. And then three days later, they find that the tomb is empty and no one produces a body. And they bribe the soldiers to say that they were asleep during that time. And can you imagine that somebody could come and steal the body and the soldier said, well, the disciples stole the body. And you want to say, really? How do you know you were asleep? And if you uh, think about it, is it possible that they could roll a stone away, that they could remove the body, that they could fold up all the grave clothes and get the body out there and hide it without anybody noticing? And to have the soldiers actually admit that we were asleep when we should have been awake, we were supposed to be guarding the tomb. And when you think about all of the things, the way that the story is told, we look at it and we say, could they not have come up with something better and something more solid if the whole thing is a fable or a myth? But it's not a fable or a myth. It's a reality, a historical fact that Jesus came out of the tomb and he changed lives then and he is still changing lives today. How many of your lives have been changed by the resurrected Christ? Let me hear you shout out an amen. And we invite those of you who have not been changed to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more than just a story, a fable, or a myth. And I want to read to you out of the introduction to the book of Romans today. And I want to just point out some things to you about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't always an apostle. He wasn't always called Paul. In fact, we find that he was a very different man before he encountered the risen Christ. And so we'll look at Romans chapter 1 and we'll look at verses 1 through 6. A lot in here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. This was no surprise, in other words, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures 
concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I suppose we could spend weeks just going through that and breaking it apart, but let's just focus in on the fact that Paul, writing this letter to people he's never met, introducing himself and giving them reasons why they should even care about what he has to say in this wonderful book of Romans. If you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, if you're not sure what Christianity is all about, can I just encourage you, read the book of Romans. It's got everything in there that you will need. And uh, Paul, in writing this to these people in Rome, here he is, a Jew, writing to the people who were oppressing his own countrymen, who were occupying the nation in which he was born. Typically, the Jews hated the Romans, and here Paul is writing them a letter commending them, mainly Gentiles, some of them were Jews. And uh, as he does so, and as he introduces himself, notice that it's not just merely about who he is and what he has done. It's about, what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes all of the difference. And when we think about the things that were changed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses, I want to say, number one, that the resurrection changed the relationship that Paul had with Christians. Now, maybe you don't know, maybe you do, uh, but we'll go over it anyway so that we're all on the same page about this. The Apostle Paul grew up and was raised to be a Jew. And he was raised to be the best Jew he could possibly be. And even though he was born in one city, he was reared in Jerusalem, he spent his time at the feet of one of the greatest Jewish teachers of all time, Gamaliel, and he was the one who excelled. He was top of his class. He's the one that took everything seriously. Every ritual, every point of the law, every point of theology, everything that he did, he did it with his whole heart so that he uh, became, at one point, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That means first in his class. That means the very best of the very best, the one everyone looked up to. And as a result of that, he hated Jesus Christ and the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here it is, we find him writing a loving, brotherly greeting to Romans. And here is a church in Rome that has both Jews and Gentiles, both the oppressors and the oppressed, worshiping together in the same church, and Paul is writing to them. He should have hated the Gentiles, and uh, at one time he did, and not only that, but he hated the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he writes an introduction of love, and he's writing in identity with them. I'm one of you, and we're together in all of this, to Christians, Jew and Gentile alike. And uh, they're brothers, they're sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, when we think about it, you say, what's the big deal about that? Wouldn't you expect that out of an apostle? Well, not this guy, 
because his previous relationship to Christians. Well, in Acts 22:19, Paul gives his own testimony. And it says, and I quote, But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I was standing by and approving, and I guarded the clothes of those who killed him. He was involved in the murder of Stephen, in the imprisonment of others. And now we find this same guy, the same man, now is writing to the church in Rome. How do you explain that? I'll tell you, it was because of the resurrection of Christ and Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and it changed everything about his life and his relationship to the church. Instead of hating them, he loved them. Instead of imprisoning them, he built them up. He supported them. He took up offerings for them. He helped them. He instructed them. All of these things are taking place and the only explanation for that that Paul gives is Jesus Christ. He changes literally everything in our life. Secondly, you'll notice when you look through this, he gives his name, his name as Paul. Well, that's not what he went by when he was growing up. That's not what he went by later on. He went by the name of Saul. Why did he go by Saul? Some people have uh, said that the word Saul means small and maybe he was short in stature. But I don't know. Everybody's short in stature when they're born and when they're named, aren't they? How would they have known that? I think he was named after one of his famous ancestors because he's of the tribe of Benjamin just like King Saul and they wanted to identify with one of their uh, heroes and one of their ancestors and so they call him Saul but after he became a Christian when he trusted Christ he became known as the Apostle Paul now back then everybody because of the Roman occupation and because of the previous Greek empire that uh, 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 oppressed them and ruled over them everybody had several different names they would have a Hebrew name they'd have a Greek name and perhaps they would have a Roman name and Paul as he is called now as another one of his names same guy and uh, here he is saying that everything has been changed even my name is different because the Lord Jesus through his resurrection changes Paul's identity his lifestyle and his purpose is changed. Before, I'm going to be the best Jew that I can be. I'm going to be the top of my class. And I'm going to be so zealous for my people and my religion that I'm going to murder and imprison and shut down anybody that would be any kind of a threat to them. But now he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm called to be an apostle, one that's sent out as a missionary to carry uh, the truth out. And he says, set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. Not for religion, not for ritual, not for performance, not for legalism or any of that, but for the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the old hymn says, what a wonderful change in my heart has been wrought. Uh, and my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Well, Paul could sing that because everything changed about him. Everything. Now he is a servant. The word there in the original language is doulos. It would better be translated a slave of Jesus Christ. 
not just merely a, a servant who volunteers or is employed by Christ, but a slave to Jesus Christ. And he calls Jesus Christ Lord. The word there, the Greek word is kurios. And kurios means master, it means boss. But it has another nuance to it that is rarely brought out. It means the owner. And Paul is saying, I'm a slave and Christ is my owner. Christ is my master. Christ is the one who defines me. Christ is the one who assigns me whatever I do. And through the resurrected Christ, Paul found the acceptance in God that he had always been looking for. You see, before, he thought that if he worked hard enough, if he did enough good deeds, if he followed the rules to the T, then he would be accepted by God, only to find out that everything he did was touched by sin, was stained by sin, was tainted by sin, and the only acceptance he could find was through something that was done for him. And what was that? Jesus Christ died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for all of Paul's sins, his pride, his arrogance, his legalism, his feelings of superiority and arrogance over other people. And uh, what did Jesus do? He paid for all of that on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And because Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ alone, Paul found acceptance in God because of Jesus Christ and through that he found an assignment no longer did he hate the church no longer was he working for his own good but now he was serving Christ now he was glorifying Christ now he was building up and helping other people and helping the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, so here he is saying that Christ is my undisputed owner, I am his slave, and because of what he has done, I have been accepted and I have an assignment. How different than we find when in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He sent to the high priest and requested letters of authorization from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any man or woman who belonged to the way, that was an early name for the church, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now how do you explain somebody who goes from being a persecutor of the church, wanting to wipe out the church and wanting to stamp out all knowledge and allegiance to Jesus Christ to one who now is actually calling himself a slave of the one he formerly opposed, saying, this one is my Lord, my master, and my owner, and here I am sent as an apostle, as his ambassador, to carry out his good news everywhere that I go. How do you change from being someone who hates Christ and hates the gospel of, of Christ to one who now is a proponent of it and one who is a slave who has given up everything in his life that he might follow, obey, and proclaim Jesus Christ. And if we were to ask Paul, Paul would say, it's because later on, on the way to go and oppress these people, I met the living Lord Jesus Christ and I found out who he is and I serve him and serve him forever. The resurrection changes everything. Thirdly, you'll notice it transforms thinking. 
How did Paul think about this scripture before? Paul makes reference here to the Old Testament scriptures. Paul was an expert in the Old Testament. He obviously knew Hebrew. And uh, even though the Jews spoke Aramaic at the time as a result of the occupation of previous empires. And uh, in the temple, though, they did everything in Hebrew. It was not their everyday language, but it was their religious language. And Paul, as an intellect and as a scholar and as someone who put everything he had into it, he studied the scriptures, not in Aramaic, not in the Greek Septuagint, or anything like that, but in Hebrew, in the original language of the Old Testament. He read the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And yes, he studied those as the law of God, as the code of conduct, as the article of faith by which he lived. And he studied the Psalms, and he studied the prophets, and he knew the history of the Jews, and he knew the theology of the Jews. He knew the law to the letter of the Jews, and he tried to observe it. In fact, he was a member of the strictest sect of Judaism. It's like he uh, joined the Marines. My dad, when he was getting ready to be drafted back in the Korean War, he said, I don't want to just go into whatever they assign me. I want to go into the very best. And so he and his brother signed up to be a Marine. They wanted to be in an elite group. They wanted to do something that was tough. They wanted to do something that they could be proud of. That's exactly what Paul was doing when he became a Pharisee. I want to be, maybe we would say, more like a Navy SEAL or something like that for the, uh, for the Jewish religion. So he said, sign me up for the toughest. Sign me up for the hardest. Sign me up where I'll get the most scrutiny. Sign me up for the most academically challenging uh, thing that I can be a part of and he said I was a Pharisee in the strictest sense of the word in fact he rose to the top and others would say about him if, the, if there's anybody who is blameless according to the law it would be the guy Saul the Pharisee he was that committed to everything that he did this was no haphazard or accidental thing it wasn't just something he was born into it was something that he chose to excel in and chose to major in I guess we would say and so he knew all of the Old Testament scriptures and so this is the man who understood what happened in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result, all of us inherit a sin nature, and we're sinners by nature. And then eventually, because of our nature, we choose to rebel against God. We choose to go our own way. He read in Isaiah chapter 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. But God laid the iniquity of us all on him. And uh, he would read about the suffering servant. Now I'm sure the rabbis would all debate who is this suffering servant and who could Isaiah be talking about. And uh, Paul would study all of that. So when he became a Christian, none of that was foreign to him. None of that was unusual to him. And he could read in there about how Jesus was descended from the throne from his father David and he was the one who was the rightful king of Israel all of these kind of things he would see and he would understand 
but he understood it from a legalistic standpoint. This is something that I must ascribe to and I must perform in a certain way so that I can be acceptable to God. It says, through his prophets and, and the holy scriptures and concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness and his resurrection from the dead. Now what is interesting is Paul could read all of that stuff and come to the wrong conclusion just like we do. We read the Bible and we don't understand it sometimes, especially when we try to read it as lost people because these things are spiritually discerned and until God, by His Spirit, gives you understanding, it makes no sense to you. In fact, I heard a person on the radio that was railing against the gospel of grace through faith and not of works because they didn't think it was fair that some people could work hard like the Apostle Paul and other people not and trust Christ and yet they get to go to heaven and the people by their works did not get to. He said, how in the world could that be fair? That would have been Paul's assessment of the whole situation. He looked at Christianity and said, foolishness. There's no way any of that could be true. He looked at the law and he saw it as a ladder by which he might climb and ascend to the throne of God. But all of that changed when he met Jesus Christ and he saw the resurrected Christ and realized that Paul, as good as he might have been in the eyes of fellow humans, as good as he might have been in his own um, estimation the book of proverbs says every man will proclaim his own goodness and paul was no different until paul saw that he was a lawbreaker that he was a sinner that he was unrighteous and he deserved the judgment of god and not the blessing of god nothing really changed in his life but it was in his encounter with the lord jesus christ that changed everything just like everything in your life will be changed if you ever know the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.3, Paul writes about this. He says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, and by flesh he means by human works, performance, adherence to religion, adherence to ritual, adherence to the law. He said, I did it all. He says in verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, to the point of persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, meaning in human eyes and in his own heart. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, listen to this, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law or works or performance or religion, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What happened to Paul? All of a sudden, those things that were mysteries in the Old Testament, now he understood them as prophecies about Jesus Christ. Those things in the Old Testament that he thought were things I have to do and things that I can do to attain eternal life, now his thinking has changed and he understands everything I do at my very best is stained and tainted with sin and therefore unacceptable to God. I used to work in a pizza place when I was in high school, and I could make a pretty good pizza. Remember Ken's Pizzas? And uh, I would uh, work on those, and I did all of it on the line, making the pizza, mixing the dough, making the pizza, running the ovens. That's before we had conveyor belts, and we actually had to pull pizzas in and out, and that uh, would burn your forearms a lot on those ovens. And uh, what if I made you a pizza... I don't know if you're hungry or not. I don't know if you like pizza. Let's say you do. And I use the very best dough. I mean, we have the best ingredients to put it together. And it is just the right weight. It's just the right thickness. It's just exactly like it's supposed to be. And then I go to the ladle and I pour the sauce all over it. No, it's fresh tomato sauce. It's spiced just the way you like it. Everything is perfect. Everything is, I mean, maybe we grew the tomatoes and got the herbs out of the garden. And I mean, it's just perfect. And then we put the cheese on it. We didn't use shredded cheese. We used uh, sliced cheese and we would cut it up a certain way where it fit on the circular uh, pizza. And it's the best mozzarella cheese. I mean, it was imported from Rome and it was brought right in there, aged just the way it's supposed to be. And it's just the right thickness and we get it all laid out on there. And then I ask you what you want. You say you want a pepperoni uh, pizza with mushrooms. And I put out the best pepperoni. I mean, it is fresh. It is well made and it is spiced perfectly and it's the right thickness and we lay it on there do you like a lot of pepperoni yeah I like a lot and we lay it on there extra thick and we get it all ready to go and then we get the mushrooms and I go out in the yard and I get some toadstools and I put the toadstools on there and then I cook it and it looks good it smells good but you happen to notice that there were toadstools and not mushrooms on there and uh, I try to give it to you I take it and take the cutter and cut it all up and then I put it out there on a on a plastic uh, tray for you and uh, you say no I'm not eating that why are you not eating it well because I don't like the looks of those so-called mushrooms that you put on there right and I make the argument I said look I made all of this myself what are you saying? Are you saying I don't know how to make pizza? They pay me to make pizza here. I've made pizzas for a lot more people than just you. Hundreds of people. I've made them, uh, you know, in the early part of the day. I've made them late, late at night when the people from the racetrack come in and those type of things. And uh, so I know what I'm doing. I, what are you saying about me? I'm insulted. I'm offended that you wouldn't eat my pizza. And uh, then I make a defense of it. It's got the best crust, the dough made for the crust. It's got the best sauce. It's got the best cheese. It's got the best pepperoni. What are you saying? Well, you put toadstools on there. Hey, that's just one out of what, four? I mean, what, what's the problem here? 
And you wouldn't take it because you would say the whole thing is tainted by those poisonous mushrooms that are on the top of it. That's a picture of your life when you bring the very best that you have before God. Would God accept that no more than you would accept that pizza that I made because it is tainted by sin and it is corrupted by sin and it is destroyed by sin. So all of my human goodness, all of Paul's human goodness, all of your human goodness and all of its merit, everything that it would that would cause it to be acceptable to God has been destroyed by your sin and by my sin and by Paul's sin. And so Paul was talking about all of this and he said, I've done all of the stuff. I've been all of the places. I have gone through all of the rituals. I have done everything even to the point of murdering and imprisoning people that I thought were in opposition to our religion. And what, does it, what did it gain me? Paul said that it was counted as rubbish. You know, one translation of the Greek word for rubbish is dung, manure. You know what Paul was saying? Take every good thing I've ever done, every ritual I've ever been through, everything that has ever looked good to anyone else, and flush it into the sewer. It's worthless. It's pointless because I have to have a righteousness that didn't come from me. Because any righteousness that comes from me is messed up. Any righteousness that comes from me is stained. Any righteousness that comes from me is tainted. Any righteousness that comes from me is sinful. Any righteousness that comes from me is totally unacceptable to God so my righteousness has to come from someone else and somewhere else and it can't be from keeping the law it can't be from going to church it can't be from being baptized it can't be from taking the Lord's Supper it can't be from abstaining from tobacco or alcohol it can't be from any of those things even being kind to other people doesn't take away the stain of sin what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And had Jesus merely died on the cross and stayed dead, then his blood would mean nothing. Oh, we might have a shrine at his tomb. We might have a shrine where he died. We might have something like that, but it couldn't wash away our sin. Only the sacrifice, the righteous sacrifice of the sinless Son of God in your place where God punished Jesus instead of punishing you, and you have trusted him as your Savior and Lord, only that can free you from sin's penalty. Only that can justify you before God. And it doesn't come from you. It comes from him and him alone. Faith alone in Christ alone is what we talk about here. So Paul's thinking had to change about the scripture, about Christ, about the church, about righteousness, about everything. It all had to change. And number four, it changes your standing with God. Notice how Paul said, our Lord, our Lord, not just your Lord, not just my Lord, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
And so when we uh, think about this last thing, how it changes your standing with God, Paul had all his life tried to live in a way where God would say, attaboy, good boy, way to go, Paul, you did it, you made it, you crossed the line, the good outweighs the bad in your life, you are declared to be righteous by your deeds, by your works. And Paul came to understand and to find out what most of you have, that your works were never good enough, they were never sufficient enough to get the job done. You might as well go to the California coast on one of those high cliffs out there and all of us line up and say, first person to jump across the Pacific Ocean wins. And some would jump further than others, but nobody would make it across. And there are some people that when you see them, they look better than you. They look like they would have it all together and that they would make it, but they can no more become acceptable to God by their own works than they could jump across the Pacific Ocean. Someone has to do it for you, and the one who did it for you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And your faith cannot be in a denomination. Your faith cannot be in a ritual or a lifestyle or anything like that. In fact, you could even believe some of the right things about Christianity, but if your faith is not 100% in Christ plus nothing, then your faith is in vain, as it says in the book of Galatians. And so the standing with God comes, Paul came to understand, not by the things that we do, not by the works of righteousness that we perform, but by the mercy of God How kind is it that God would say, you've got a problem, I can't accept you, you can never be in my presence, you can't be in my heaven because of your sin, but don't worry, I'll take care of it for you. I will send my own son, he will live the perfect life you could never live, he will be nailed to a cross, but don't get hung up just simply about thinking about the nails, but I'm going to do something far worse The hell that you would suffer for eternity, I will hurl upon him and he will suffer in your place until the debt is paid. And when the debt is paid, all who put their faith and trust in my son will be welcomed into heaven because they will have a righteousness that's not their own, not that they earned, not that they worked for, but a righteousness that is given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever trusted him today? I've got a short video here that I want you to watch in conclusion, and it'll kind of bring everything we were talking about together.